And so today I want to take time to talk about the issue of biblical womanhood. Uh, and it's because we need to hear it. We need to hear God's word on this topic. So let me pray, and then we'll uh, go in and start sharing. But I want to ask God's help at the very front of our time. Lord, we ask for your help right now. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your design in creating us. Uh, it's no accident how you've done it. Uh, we are all made by you uh, with specific purpose in mind. And Lord, we need you uh, in your word to understand this and to embrace it. So we ask you now, Lord, uh, to help us understand your word. Help me to teach it faithfully, proclaim it, and, and more importantly, in all this, Lord, as we hear your word, we want to be transformed. We want fresh faith in you, uh, fresh joy in knowing you, and fresh uh, power and resolve by your grace to obey you. So lead in this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the title of the message is Who is Woman? And uh, sorry in case you're uncomfortable with that uncentered plant. There you go. Um, we are, we're going to address this topic, Who is Woman? It's an important topic today. Our culture actually is very confused on this, more and more so confused on what, it, what is a woman, what is a man, what is male, what is female. Um, and it's probably the most important topic, most important truth or untruth of our day is what is man, what is woman. And so today, being Mother's Day, we're going to look at what is woman. We're going to look at Genesis, a wonderful uh, book of the Bible that tells us about God's purposes. Uh, Pastor Alexander Strock says this about this topic. He says, one of the most significant changes in human history has occurred during the past 40 years. It is the gender revolution. In the words of historian William Manchester, the erasure of distinctions between the sexes is not only the most striking issue of our time, it may be the most profound the race has ever confronted. Wow. And I think he's right. And by the way, this was written 18 years ago. And this is only intensified for us. And, and so we need to know what does God's word say. God has not left us alone to kind of figure out to wonder, well, what really is truth? Is, you know, gender theory, is that really the truth? Is, is there, you know, no distinction? Or is, uh, is traditional roles, is that the truth? Is modern feminism, is that the truth? You know, what is the truth? Well, God's given us his word. And he's given us truth to live by. And, and this book of the Bible is one of the most important books on the doctrine of man, the doctrine of biblical womanhood or man, manhood. And so we're going to dig into Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at what God has done in designing women and creating mankind, male and female, what he's after, what the design is, what the purpose and how that functions. There's no way, by the way, uh, to, to address everything in 40 minutes or so. Uh, so we'll address certain topics from Genesis. And this is an ongoing conversation for us as a church. We're learning. And so I don't want you to feel like... Uh, there's a definitive word, then we're done. We're, we're learning to submit to God's word, to trust him and obey. So let's take a look at, at Genesis. First, Genesis chapter 1, the creation account. Listen and listen intently to God's word because there's a lot to learn, even in the particular words and phrasings. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. 
And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. We turn to chapter 2. Chapter 2 goes into more detail about mankind. Chapter 1 is more of the cosmology of the entire creation. Chapter 2 is more of of anthropology. It's about mankind in more detail. So uh, chapter 2, verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. And then verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We learn lots of truth in just these sections of Scripture. Uh, core truths about mankind and really the cure for the mass epidemic of gender and identity dysphoria. Uh, this confusion, this this angst, this problem in our culture of not not understanding gender and even our very identity because they're connected. We have the cure here in Scripture. Um, And so we need to dig in and understand what's being said here. So let's just observe what's being said in these passages and learn some things. First, man and woman, mankind, is created by God Himself. We are created by God. He is the creator of us. The infinite, eternal one who existed before time began. He made everything out of nothing. So he, before the universe was, he was there and yet he spoke and created. So he makes everything out of nothing. The one who doesn't need creation but chose to make creation, who eternally existed, who's infinite in glory, who's the absolute, the the beginning, the middle and the end of all things, created us. That's important to understand. We're not just chance. We're not just simply biology, uh, random physics and chemistry happening somehow in some extraordinary occurrence that we happen to dwell within. No, we are made by God Himself. The infinite, glorious One made us. and, And He didn't just make us as another part of His creation, but He made us in His image. We are made by God Himself in His image. We are to to reflect who He is. So think about that. We are finite. We're weak. We recognize that. And yet God has said, the eternal, glorious One, the infinite One, who who cannot be contained in all the universe, He says, I want to make these creatures who will actually reflect who I am and all of my glory. That's amazing. There's no higher purpose for mankind. And really, that that purpose, that truth, is the basis of all other ethics. We're made in the image of God. We're made to reflect Him. Now, there's a lot of aspects to that, and theologians wonder about what that is, but I, I think there's a couple things that are clear. Is, is, is one, we are 
as thinking beings, we can think, we can reason, we can feel, we can engage God. We can consider the things of God. We're rational in that way, in a, in a deep, thorough way. We are um, also, we can make moral choices. We don't just live off of instinct, despite what some might say. We're not simply biology in motion. We actually have will and discernment and we attach ourselves to, to values, and so we can make choices. We have a will that we can exercise. And so we can make moral choices, and in that we can reflect the character of God, because God is who He is, because He chooses, chooses or wa walks in line with his, his person and His character. He chooses to act certain ways. And so we can reflect Him in character. We can make choices. We can love. We can sacrifice. We can honor what's good in an active way. And, and with that as well, so his character uh, and, and our ability to think and reason, and, and in that there's our ability to communicate and relate. God is a relational being. This is profound too and a lot of things we can think about that. He's Trinity. He's always and ever been Trinity, three and one. He's an eternal, perfect relationship. And so when he makes mankind, he doesn't just want to show that you know, he's a rational being who thinks and, and can, you know, create and, and exercise logic and, and values. He's not only a moral being who can, who can make decisions to do what's right and honorable and deny what's evil, but he's a relational being and all these things wrap together within that. Creation flows out of the eternal love in the Trinity and the overflowing of who God is as Trinity. And so mankind is made to reflect that. That's important to understand as background to our identity, as background to understanding who is woman. We're made in the image of God. We're made to reflect Him. And, and that is an, a wonderful privilege. But, but note that in this creating us in the image of God, we are made in binary. In other words, there's two options that God uses together to image Him, male and female. Now, each of us are fully human, and so we can all image God in, in many aspects as individuals made in the image of God. But that would, if we just to take that truth and deny the rest of the chapter, we'd miss an important truth. That when God said, I want to image myself, I want to reflect my image, I want to make them male and female to do this. And so God has chosen to reflect his image through creating mankind male and female that they might work together to image him. And so, yes, we can image him individually, but we can't complete the fullness of what he has in mind without working together. And so, chauvinism or ultra-feminism are anti to God's purposes. He wants us to work together in, the, in his particular design, to come together to image him and to show his glory. We see that in Genesis. And we also see something with this, that there's an actual mission there's a mission that he has. We have a mission from God as those made in his image. He has something he wants to accomplish. And this is actually before anything bad happens. This is the original creation before the, the devil had come in and tempted mankind and we had fallen from relationship with him. This is before that. There still was a mission. So mission is, is bigger than just the, the dealing with sin and evil. Mission is a bigger thing that God has in mind for mankind. And the mission that he has for mankind actually is being fulfilled and will be fulfilled for eternity, even in the new heavens and the new earth. And what is his mission? We see in the chapter that he makes us and 
He puts us on the earth and we're to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So we're to fill the earth. We're to, to be over all creation. And part of what's going on in chapter 1, he's creating these spheres of creation and then he fills the sphere. So he creates the sky, then he fills the sky with lights and he fills the sky with birds. He creates the sea, he fills the sea with fish and so forth. He creates the land, fills the land with animals. And then he, he puts his image to rule over it and accomplish his mission over all of that. That's mankind, male and female. And so we have a mission to fill the earth, rule over all creation, and image him in all creation, to rule over what he's created in such a way that we reflect his character, to be, in a sense, kings and queens reigning together over all things, enjoying his creation, but, but superintending it, and bringing his presence to bear in creation. And that relates to another aspect, chapter 2. He, chapter 2 is another aspect of, of what mankind's about. And it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So he creates the man and he puts him in the garden. And it's really important to get that this is not like your Sunday school lesson that showed Adam you know, gardening. Um, this isn't Adam in a garden raising tomato plants and daffodils. Uh, the garden in Scripture is, is, I mean, certainly it probably had tomato plants and daffodils. I'm not saying it didn't, but that wasn't the point. The garden in Scripture is a different thing than our, the garden in your backyard. It's a royal garden. It's a garden. It's a kingly garden. It, it's a garden like they would have had around palaces. That's the idea, and that's how the word was used in the original language. And so it's a kingly garden, and he's put there to, to keep it. He's to be in the garden, to work it and keep it. And that those words are actually the words that are used for what priests were supposed to do in the temple. They were supposed to keep the temple. And we know in the storyline, as you follow through chapters 1 through 3, it, it, there's just a little um, statement where God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. So that garden was basically like a kingly, priestly garden. It was a place where God came and dwelt. And his job was to create a, a context in his imaging God, where God could make his presence known on earth. That's the idea of the garden. And, and he's supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? So if he keeps the garden, and he's supposed to fill the whole earth, then what does that mean? That the garden is supposed to fill the whole earth. That the creation is not to be merely uh, animals and all these glorious things in and of themselves. It's to be mankind superintending and extending the presence and reign of God throughout all creation and imaging him in every way. So we are to cultivate, we are to order, we are to care, and we are in that all to reflect the glory of God as male and female. That's the mission. And God created man, uh, mankind, male and female, to do it together. So that's all important background to understanding who is woman. Made in the image of God, made for mission, made for mission together with men, according to God's design. And, and sadly, this, this is God's recipe for glory on the earth. This is God's recipe for his mission. God himself creates and he dwells with us and we are to relate with him together as male and female. That's his recipe for his mission, for his glory. And sadly, the, the, the culture and, and where we go, and this has always been the case, is striking at the very heart of God's mission. So when the culture or our own tendencies and let us never look at the culture as like we're not in the culture. We're in the culture. We're affected. We make choices. So our own tendencies to say, you know, I, 
I, I don't want to work with men, or I don't want to work with women, or I want to do it on my own sort of thing. We're working against this. And when, when there's gender confusion in, in culture, and there's confusion over one of the most important expressions among many expressions of how men and women work together, marriage, it's striking at the very heart of our identity and our purpose. That's why this is important to consider and think through. This is God's recipe. God, male, and female together. You know, if you want to make simple pancakes, there are three ingredients. I had to look this up. <laughs> Though I've made pancakes before, but... Eggs, flour, and milk. Do you know you can make pancakes just with those three? I thought you needed other things, but you don't. Simple pancakes, eggs, flour, and milk. What happens if you leave out the eggs? You get a saltine without salt. What happens if you leave out the flour? You get an omelet. What happens if you leave out the milk? You have quiche. All three are required to make pancakes. Well, all three, male and female, in union with God, are required to make what God wants to make on the earth, his glory to shine and blessing. And to leave out any one of these three or to underemphasize or even overemphasize any one of these three in an improper way, can't overemphasize God, of course, but to do that is to have Mission failure. You don't get what God designed. And God designed this and he designed who we are and to make us distinct. I'm going to talk about that. There's a distinction between who we are. But first, I think we need to understand that we're called as equals. This would be the era of previous generations. Um, many cultures, they would look at men and women and say basically women are lesser. And the, the biblical testimony is, is contrary. It's very clear. It's actually, it's really compellingly powerful how clear it is and how contrary to culture it is. He makes us in the image of God, he makes us male and female, right alongside each other. There's no, like, lesser than. It's right alongside each other. They, they are both made in the image of God. There's equality between men and women. And that's consistent throughout the Bible. Um, you, can, you, can, you see it in the New Testament. You see it in how Jesus relates to women. And we read it today, and we, because our culture has been affected by these things, we don't think much of it. But in the day, he was radical in his regard for women. And so you just look through the stories. Women are full disciples. Now, they're not in the same roles and capacity as the apostles, but they're fully involved in following him. In the upper room, there's women. The women like Mary Magdalene, his friends Mary and Martha. Look at those interactions. Look at the respect, the, the affection and how Jesus relates to women. So this is consistent. This is God's idea. We are, we are equal before him. We are not different in the sense of equality. We are right on the same plan, but we are different in the sense of design that God has. That's so important to get. And, and again, that's echoed throughout all Scripture. We need to hear these things. There's no greater than, lesser thing, lesser than in this. And by the way, this can go either way. So traditionally, it's gone the other way, right? If you go back up 50 years or more, women were kind of considered lesser. I would say nowadays it's men who are considered lesser, right? And there's some very unkind words used for men at times. Um, men are pigs. You ever heard that? That, that? That's a blasphemy against God's creation. Now, men can be evil, of course. But let's not call God, those men in God's image after animals. And that goes either way. I don't need to use the word used on the other side. Let's, let's commit not only to not use those words, but to not even have that heart. To honor God by honoring women and honoring men. 
and understanding that, that God's design in this is glorious and we're to work together. So let the Scripture kind of elevate our opinion and rescue us from what the culture does. Let us shine as distinct and different from the culture as we pursue biblical womanhood and manhood. God's created us equal. And yet we're different. There is a difference here. There is a difference between men and women in God's design. It's throughout Scripture, and it's throughout general revelation, and we're going to talk about that as we go. And it's pretty obvious. It was obvious to many other generations. Right now, it, it seems not obvious to many. So we need to look at the Word and let the Word def define this. So uh, we look at Genesis 1 and 2, and we see uh, in chapter 1, of course, He makes us in His image, male and female. Chapter 2 goes into, guard, into more detail of creation. And... And what happens in chapter 2, if you could put the chapter 2 reference up, that would be great. Uh, in chapter 2, there is this search for a helper suitable for Adam in the storyline. And Adam names, first off, it's, uh, God says it's not good for him to be alone. It's not good. It's interesting. That's the first instance in the, in the Scripture where something's not good. Isn't that interesting? Before the fall, there's something that's not good in the process of God's creation. It's not good for the man to be alone. And so... God wants to create what's good and what's very good. He wants to fulfill what's, what's most glorious. So it's not good that there only be uh, one gender, man by himself. And this is, by the way, I, I want you to understand too, this relates, of course, to marriage, but it relates to everything else too. Your femininity or masculinity, your manhood or womanhood is not just about marriage, it's about everything. You'll never stop being a woman, you'll never stop being a man in God's design. And so these truths apply everywhere. Yes, certainly in marriage, but elsewhere. And, and so this, this idea of a helper suitable for him is not just in marriage, it's for everything. And so in the process of the story, it's not good, and so God uh, brings the animals, and, and Adam names the animals, so he's naming the animals. That's part of his exercising uh, his rule over them, his superintending over creation. He names all the animals, and there's no, no helper suitable for him. It's obvious. Nothing else is at all appropriate to be the helper. So he takes the man, he takes a rib, or actually the whole side of the man, out of the man, and he creates a woman. And that is the helper that's brought to him, to be a helper suitable for him. And he's really excited <laughs> in the storyline. It's like, wow, now at last. And so there's a connection he has. This, this is woman. She's connected to me. She's like me, but she's different. And, and now we can work together, and as we work together, we can accomplish this mission we're given. And so it's a helper suitable for him as the man. The, the woman is to be a helper suitable for the man as they together come to accomplish the mission. Now, the word helper is not a word for a lesser person. If you look up the word helper in, in the Hebrew and do just a search on the Old Testament where it's used, it's predominantly used to describe who? Take a guess. God himself. God himself is our helper. So, so let's not think that helper means lesser. A helper is someone who has resources, right? And has resources you don't have. And so, if anything, there might be a superiority in a helper that you use your resources to help someone else who can't accomplish what they're called to do without your help. And so this helper suitable for him is, is God's design to bring someone alongside so together they would walk in what God wants to create in all the contexts, be it marriage, be it the church, be it just life. 
And, and Adam is indeed called here to be a leader. That's clear. And it, and it doesn't help to try to level the field here. Often people, the reason I, I believe, from what it seems, they want to level the field and say, well, he's not really a leader. That's not the right use of the word, so forth and so forth. It's because they, in our minds is, well, if, they're, if they're, one is a leader, then he's going to, by nature, be superior. No, there's no superiority here at all. This is not about superiority. It's about role and responsibility. And the man in, in the storyline is the one called to be responsible. He's the one who names Eve, and he doesn't call her Eve at this point. He calls her uh, Isha, which basically is man, woman. It's just a man is Ish, and in Hebrew for woman is Isha. So it, it, it's woman. It's from a man. It's, it's related to a man. And he names her, and so he's exercising leadership in that, and she's helping him in his leadership. That's how it works. She's bringing her particular gifts and resources alongside his leadership, and they together are to accomplish the mission. It's really important to get that, that, that we're to work together. There's an interdependence between the sexes that God has designed on purpose. Women are called to be helpers to men. Generally, that's true in every way, and we'll, we'll talk about some applications. Men are called to lead and be responsible in that. Yet they're dependent on each other here in the Genesis accounts. God's designed us to work together. And Paul, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, says it very clearly, Nevertheless, in the Lord, women, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. He's created us in this interdependency that's necessary. And it's good. And it's about glory. God wants to image his glory through this interdependence, through us walking together in his design. Now, that's not popular. People don't want to hear that. And there's all sorts of arguments and pushback against it. And there's concerns that are, that some of the concerns are valid. There's a history where this wasn't done right. But let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Let's learn to do this together in obedience to, to the Word of God. Let the Word define these things, not culture, on either side. We're not looking for traditional expression. We're not looking for a, a modern expression of these things. We want to be biblical. We want to learn together. Because there's a lot at stake in this. There's actually a lot at stake. There's questions about the authority of Scripture that are at stake in the debate over what does the Bible say. And, and there's those who say, well, it's really just culturally conditioned and so, you know, it made sense for them at the time, but not, we're not in that culture anymore. And that's really dangerous, because if you can do that with this, you can do it with everything else. And the Bible never presents itself that way. There are instances in the Bible that are indeed to be understood culturally. But when it's Genesis, the very beginning of mankind, the very fundamentals of who we are, it transcends all culture. And so there's issues of the authority of Scripture. Um, there's the issues of the health, a personal psychological health, relational health that comes from this, because if you're confused about this, it causes problems. That's a big issue here. But you know what's the most important issue? As important as those are, the very glory of God is at stake. Because this is about how God glorifies His name, how He shows Himself, and what He's like. That we might love Him and enjoy Him and walk with Him, and without Him we're nothing. And so the most important issue here is the very glory of God. God's design is for, to reflect His glory as we image Him together. And, and we can talk through some instances. I wish I had more time for, for more, but let's just take marriage as a little side piece on that. 
God's design in Ephesians 5 for marriage is that we would walk together in our God-given design, in our particular roles, man, the man leading and being responsible and loving and laying down his life for the wife, and exercising leadership, and the wife coming alongside to support her husband, to bring her gifts and her giftedness, which is distinct from her husband. There's design here uh, in all this. The difference is I, I didn't talk too much about it. I'll, I'll talk as we continue through, but, but um, there's, there's distinctions here in Scripture. Some of them are explicit. Some of them are uh, implicit. And there's distinctions we can understand by studying general revelation, biology, and, and so forth. And, and we start to see those things. And, and so you see among men and women differences that line up with what we see in the Scripture. The way a man thinks, generally speaking, is different than how a woman thinks. They think it has to do with how the synapses work and all that, that, that men can be very sequential. Uh, men tend to have good geometrical understanding. So the big picture thing, they tend to do better in, generally speaking. There's a lot of overlap here, so don't get me wrong. But they tend to think better in terms of the big picture, be a little more analytical. That's helpful in making decisions and leading. But it's not helpful in creating something to fill within those decisions. And so part of how the role works is, is men are called to lead and take initiative, to use their power, uh, and it can be just physical power, we're bigger, we're stronger, positional power, relational power, use their power to serve and to initiate things. Then, then women, generally, their giftedness is they're way better at multitasking, they're usually much better socially, they're actually just even more oriented that way. Not that men are unsocial, they, they are social, but women, generally speaking, tend to just connect relationally. And they, they, they come into a group and they, they want to make connections. And that's how often they talk together, right? It, I, I can't do that. When I get in a room full of women talking, I enjoy it, but it's like, how did we get here? I don't know. Can someone just line? Can we do this thing sequentially and not just like, boop, 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 boop? And, uh, and, and, but you know what? Often, I've, I've watched this. They can, women doing that, again, this is generally speaking, um, they can get a lot done that way. In my mind, it's like, well, you're not going to get anything done. Well, they do. They get a lot done. And, they, and my, I know because my wife comes out of those conversations saying, what about this thing? She'll, she'll hit something I didn't even think about. I'm like, oh, that's a good point. Um, and so, so that's part of how God uses the women as a helper. So men use power to initiate, to serve, to create, but women use their giftedness to fill, to bring life to bring life, to nurture life, to nurture community, to nurture relationship, to fill it. And we, we see this, and I'm going off topic a little bit now, but we see it in the church, by the way. I see this all the time. Um, so I had the idea a while back, let's reboot Alpha. And I can create structure, I can create ideas, but I can't make the thing fly. And what I saw by and large is women coming along, men too, but women coming along and filling that idea with life. Uh, so... Melanie, I don't mean to pick on you, but, but you did a wonderful job of coming and, and just filling that alpha with hospitality and care and detail and, and overseeing the food. You wouldn't want me in charge of that. Um, and that's just, you know, just a picture. And there's so many other ways that that works. And by the way, it isn't just in the church in the particular roles he calls us. It's not just in marriage and how that works. It's in all of life. And you'll see on the job, you can have, you can have two people on a job, both engineers say. They're going to be slightly different if one's a man and one's a woman. 
And, and there's to be a femininity and masculinity in all those roles. I don't think the Bible says you, you can't be an engineer or you can't be a construction worker or you can't be a nurse or whatever it might be. That's traditional, not necessarily biblical. But I would say, in line with the design, how you do it will be different in, in how God has made you. And that's a good thing. So let's celebrate that. Let's learn about it. Let's, let's seek God to be glorified. Seek that God would be glorified in all those things. It applies in all these ways. And, um, boy, how did time go by so fast? Uh, there's more I could say um, in terms of God's design. One last thing I think it's important, among many things, that God himself is the ultimate example of this. He's Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are fully and equally God. They're fully glorious. They're one in being together. It's a mystery we can't understand, yet they're distinct in their roles. The Father is the head. It's clear in Scripture. I can show you verses. We can walk through that. He is the head. Jesus will, when Jesus returns, it's just one example, when he returns, he's going he's to bring his reign, and then he's going to turn his reign over to who? The Father. So there, there's headship of the Father. The Son comes as the Son under the Father, saying, Father, I want to fulfill your will. I'm going to come and live become a man, I'm going to do these things, I'm going to accomplish your will. Then the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to take what you two have done and I'm going to make it known. I'm going to bring life to it. Um, and and, and there's, there's no gender in, in God in that way, in that's, that sense. But there's differences there. And there's equality. And so when we image him as male and female in his design, we are actually imaging the Trinity. That there's difference, there's equality, but difference. And when we complement each other, in these right ways, unashamed of it, promoting it, enjoying it, it glorifies God. It shows the world, this is what God looks like. Now, the reality is, quickly, I have to cover this part. We all fail, don't we? In many ways. Genesis chapter 3, you see this first failure, and it is so typical of continued failure because what happens is, in the whole storyline, the, the man fails to be the leader. The woman comes and, and does, takes over. He doesn't love her and speak the truth and lead. He, he fails, and then she's tempted. She's not cared for by him and his leadership, so she's vulnerable to Satan in that. That gets exploited. She rules, really, basically the, the couple there. Um, and, and so they, they fall under sin and the devil. And then they're discovered. Their relationships are broken right away. They're, they were naked and ashamed. Now they're ashamed. They're aware of their vulnerability and inadequacy on their own. And, and God comes and speaks to them, and they basically blame each other, right? I mean, they, 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 it goes down the line. Uh, Adam, who's, God speaks to Adam first, by the way. That's interesting. He's not the one who initially engaged the devil, but he was one responsible. So speaks to him, he, and he says, it's the woman you put here. The woman said it's, it's the, the, the serpent. And the serpent, dumb joke, but doesn't have a leg to stand on, as the joke goes. Um, the, the, serpent, the serpent can't blame anybody. And so God, there's a judgment that falls from that. And then in the description, it's interesting. There's a curse that comes. And, and he says to Eve something. Um, he says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. The curse, the brokenness of humanity your desire will be for your husband. And that word desire doesn't mean like you desire him, you think he's wonderful. No, you desire to be in charge of him because that same word is used of how sin desires Cain later on. So you're going to desire to rule over him and what's, what's going to happen? He's going to dominate you. 
So what was supposed to be glorious, coming together in appropriate roles, imaging God, now is broken and corrupt. And we end up with the war of the sexes, and that continues, and that continues throughout history, and it affects us, and we fail in this, yet redemption has come in Jesus. That's the good news. There's rescue. God's rescue is to send His own Son, God Himself in the flesh, to live among us, to be the perfect man, to demonstrate what that looks like, to, to, to be a leader who lays his life down for his sheep, loves his sheep enough and loves his Father so much that he lays that down, that righteous, glorious life, and he sacrifices himself on our behalf. The church is, is a picture of the woman. And the church is called to respond to this truth. He lays his life down for the church for us as a whole. He lays his life down to, to pay for our sins and our rebellion against him, that we might be forgiven, that the penalty, the just penalty from a holy good God could be fully paid by Jesus so that we could be reconciled to God and have a relationship with him. That's wonderful news, amazing example of manhood and what Jesus does. And the good news is we simply need to respond. He's done all the work. We respond. We turn away. I don't want sin. I don't want this brokenness of how I have operated as a man or a woman. I see what your word says. I know it's wrong. I don't want this anymore. We turn from that. We say, Jesus, rescue me. And there's power in Jesus. Not only to be forgiven by his blood shed for you on the cross, but power by his resurrection from the dead to help you become more and more like him. To help you be the woman or man God's called you to be. And so later on we see in in Scripture, in the New Testament, there's all these exhortations of how to walk this out. In marriage, but in the church as well. There's a lot of commands that call, call us to certain things. Men are called to, to be leaders and to serve. Women are called to, to be leaders as well and to serve, but in a feminine way. Men are called to, to demonstrate male leadership as pastors. And so Scripture, I believe, is very clear on that, that the pastoral office is a male office. Part of God's design from Genesis 1 to 3, reflecting through a pastor. But it's not meant to be alone. We need the whole church and, and the other men, but also the women in the church to come alongside in, in appropriate leadership roles as deaconesses and so forth, leading other ministries, but also just with their, their innate giftedness as women to bring life and fill with life. That's, by the way, uh, what Adam names his wife later, Eve. Eve means life because she brings life to all mankind. And I think that's a picture not just for giving birth to children, but for what femininity does. It nurtures, it brings life, it fills things out. It creates healthy community and relationships. And I think it's pretty clear that women are way better at that than men, yet we're to work together. There's a, there's a complementarity here that's supposed to operate. I hope this makes sense. I hope it gives you an understanding and I hope it gives you power and confidence in Christ to start anew because all of our sins are forgiven in Him and He's with us and He's for us and He wants to create a community that models this in all the contexts. Marriage, the church, the life of the church. He wants to do that in the workplace and in the community as well. He wants us to be men and women by His design imaging Him and bringing Him glory, reflecting who He is in all these ways. So we can, by His grace, buck the trend. We can forgive those who have abused this and maybe abused us in this because Jesus has forgiven us. 
We can have hope for change for them and for us. We can choose to trust the Lord in all these things, to know that He has a design. For women, one of the ways that you're going to have to do that, I think, within, within all realms, is you're going to have to learn to work with men who are weak. And you're going to have to learn to trust the Lord to come alongside you and that man to accomplish his design. You're going to have to resist the trend that started in the fall, which is, I want to take over because this guy's incompetent. That's, that's what's always going to be the temptation. I want to take over because I'm fearful of what will happen if he leads. And of course, when things are dangerous or outright wrong, you don't support that. But short of that, you trust the Lord and his design. And you learn to come alongside and be a helper. I'm going to be a helper here. And he might stumble, he might struggle, but it's God's design that you help him not take over. And, and for the men, we need to understand God's design is that women would come and fill what we're doing, that, that it's a mission together. We can't do it on our own. It's not okay just to say, I'm going to do it all. No. Talk to your wife, talk to your friend, talk to your fellow church member, Get their counsel, get their involvement, invite them in. If uh, the band could come up as we transition. God has a design here to use us, to make us male and female, to cooperatively reflect his glorious image. And so we need to respond to this, to engage God's intentions and his design. And so, women, let me ask you, do you recognize God's clear and glorious promise in your femininity and being a woman? Do you recognize it's a good thing and for the glory of God? Do you embrace that? Do you look to, to grow in, in what Scripture would teach you about that and bring in your giftedness to bring life, to be a helper? Whether you are in a leadership position or part of the team, that you bring life and, and, and help there. To, to do that and to do it wholeheartedly. And men, how are you honoring the women in your life? Are you creating a clear pathway, an invitation for them to, to bring, to be welcome with their giftedness, to come in and participate and contribute? Or does she feel like you resist that? How can you invite their help? How can you honor and celebrate their role? How can you honor God according to his design? Let's just take a minute before we transition to think about that, those things. Is there some way you could say, Lord, forgive me, I've been thinking this. I need to see it your way. Help me and help me take steps. Let's just do that before the Lord, then we'll transition.